0: Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of gambling wrecks. Alrighty, Al. Welcome back to Unblocking Crypto, episode number 20. continue our uh, spending some time talking about the news since there is quite a bit of stuff still happening uh, each week. So maybe to start, let's talk about some of the things happening in the banking space and some of the partnerships investments that we keep hearing about. Um, You want to start on your end?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the one that keeps popping up on my side um, is fidelity doubling their digital asset team. Um, You know, I follow some of the fidelity guys. Um, There's one guy named Jurian Timmer who does a great job with charts and kind of forecasting what digital assets and Bitcoin look like they're doing relative to other similar technologies. And so that's probably why it kept popping up for me. Uh, And that means doubling the digital asset teams means like over a hundred, maybe 110 people added to, uh, to the payroll. So that's, that's crypto, not just Bitcoin uh, for digital assets. So we will kind of see what that means as far as them branching out into other, into other types of, Cryptocurrencies, but um, Fidelity seems to be out in front on some of this stuff. You know, they've been kind of flirting with this for years, and now it seems like it's really starting to ramp up.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Another company that has been in the news quite a bit here lately is JP Morgan, which it's kind of funny that we're talking about them in a positive light since they have typically been one saying, stay away from crypto. Oh, it's been awful. Yeah, They just recently came out and said that they are replacing real estate as um, their alternative asset class that they they recommend and replacing that with crypto. And they are saying Bitcoin, they think the fair market value is about 38,000, which is just under 30% higher than where it is now, which is amazing to see where they have come from. Uh, based on the past few years of, of their messaging.
1: Oh, yeah. Jamie Dimon was like up there with the Warren Buffetts and Charlie Munger's of the stay away. It's rat poison. You know, this is it's going to zero. It's, uh, you know, it's a, a, a tulip mania, you know, pyramid Ponzi scheme. And now it's like, all right, maybe we're wrong. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's up there with real estate. That was a quick turn, too, because I think Jamie Dimon is still saying this stuff like two, three years ago.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, too. So they were also in the news recently. They mentioned that they are going to start using blockchain for collateral settlement. Um, and one of the things that they mentioned was derivatives. And we've talked about how large of a piece of pie the derivative market is. And now they're currently using their own internal blockchain. I think they've called it Onyx. To do that. But if it becomes something that they justify that makes sense from a drove to market, that could be really intriguing to see what happens uh, in the future with all that as well.
1: Yeah. And if JP Morgan starts to, I mean, you said use digital assets for collateral, like other banks start accepting people's digital currency for collaterals for loans, then the whole um, strategy of hold, buy Bitcoin, hold it forever. If you need spending cash, get a loan against it, wait five years, the loan will pay for itself with the appreciation. Like all of that kind of wild Bitcoin maximalist, um, highly high risk, high leverage stuff is like, yeah, that starts to work. Uh, I don't know that it works work forever, but you know, If the Bitcoin does what we think it's going to do, then it works. But that's not financial advice.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. I know one of the other big things that I saw that has happened, Tether has been in the news a lot in the past with all the stablecoin questions. But they are talking about creating a Mexican peso stablecoin in the near future now, too. And Mexico has actually been one of the countries that we've been hearing that there is a chance that they could move to legalizing Bitcoin as a um, reserve currency in their country. So it's intriguing to hear that they are becoming a lot more crypto friendly and that Tether is thinking of going there next.
1: Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, I've got that. uh, There's a there's a Mexican billionaire and he's like the second or third richest uh, Mexican citizen. And he's very pro Bitcoin. Um, and he's kind of vocal about it, which, you know, in my head, if you're up there in that top five richest people in Mexico, you probably have politicians phone numbers like on your cell phone. So like, that's, that's helpful. You know, it seems a little corrupt to say it like that, but it's like, it could be good for everybody in the country. I think that's why El Salvador is important and how that goes for uh, for like everyday citizens, but Mexico's got to have a ton of remittances too, uh, coming back from the United States, especially where people are just sending money back in Western Union's making eight dollars on fifty dollar transfers, and if you switch to the Lightning Network and use Bitcoin, and you know you could you could send your kid to the movies while you're working in Oklahoma and they're going to the movie theater in, you know, Mexico city. So you just flash them 20 bucks or like whatever the conversion is to pesos, or they accept Bitcoin. You don't have to pay anybody and you don't have to wait. So I think, uh, I think for countries like Mexico, that, that would be a big one, but it's hard for me to think Mexico is going to be next. I mean, we're, t- we got El Salvador and central African Republic. Like, Mexico going from that to Mexico is kind of a big jump, but uh Bitcoin doesn't seem to mind making like big jumps like that. Like somebody will stick their neck out and do it. Like uh, if it's MicroStrategy or Tesla or whatever, I mean, that's people put billions of dollars towards it. So it's not, it's not out of the question.
0: It, it, to me, it's been a lot of the, the tier three or the bottom level of countries doing this. And Mexico is kind of in that tier two range where if they, want to become a serious player, they got to make a big big move early. So it it could be a great play for them, but um, I guess time will tell. Yeah. I know you've talked a lot about oil and gas in the past. There's been a lot of more discussion here recently. I mean, you already had companies like ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, Marathon Oil, all in the U.S. that have talked about their enabling Bitcoin mining um, there's now a new one with um, Texas Pacific that they are going to do about a 60 megawatt facility in West Texas, which could handle up to two exo hashes of Bitcoin mining, which is about 1% of the total mining in the entire world right now. Um, so that's really exciting to see texas making a big push into mining and they're partnering with a couple of mining groups that i think are pretty big in wyoming already um so it's uh it's looking good and they're pretty much the way they described it almost was that bitcoin is energy infrastructure and i think that was a comment they made at the bitcoin 2022 conference but it's I mean, it kind of makes sense what we've talked about in the past, where turning excess energy into something that is easily able to trade.
1: So the Texas energy grid is not interconnected to the, the nearby states, so it's kind of on an island. Um, so what you can do, or what they're with a a grid like that, and what we saw in Texas in the winter storm where they had blackouts because of uh, failed natural gas pipes that froze, and you know, I, the, depending on which news source you watch, they a lot of people complained about the wind being down. But they do have a lot of wind and solar in Texas, and so if you have like this this sixty megawatt, right? Yeah, sixty megawatts is not a lot in the power industry terms. Um, but what you can do is when you've got excess power, like a ton of power coming from wind and solar that's effectively free marginal cost power you may have too much power than the grid needs so instead of uh essentially unplugging the solar and wind you can sell it to the bitcoin miners and they can run and produce bitcoin and then on the flip side when power prices are higher there's a whole lot of demand on the system uh, then the Bitcoin miners can shut off because they're not profitable anyway, and power goes back to the grid. So you can justify the over creation of wind and solar by having these um, this demand source that you can flip on and off. so to me, that's it's a real renewable enabling way of handling power that up till now, that's not a it's not a thing. The only thing similar to that that we have now is pumping water back up uh, into a lake above a dam to, to generate hydroelectric power. If there's a ton of wind and solar, we'll pump during the day to get water back up to the dam side so that when we need more power, we can turn the hydroelectric turbines and, uh, and generate power and sell it at a premium. So there's, you know... A small fraction of people in power and almost nobody in the general public understand kind of the the economics of power production. But that's kind of how that could work so that Bitcoin mining produces uh, a demand source that will allow renewable energy to to take off.
0: Yeah, that's pretty exciting. The other um, interesting partnerships that are happening out there, one of the big VCs out there is Andreessen Horowitz. And they had previously raised about $3 billion to invest in crypto companies and the Web3 infrastructure. Well, since the prices have tanked so much here lately, they just raised another $4.5 billion to continue to invest, which is kind of impressive that one company is doing that on their own and now has almost over $7.5 billion invested in the crypto space.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of dry powder that you can you know, snap your fingers and generate and fire off into the market. That's uh I don't know if I, I don't know if that's good or not. Easy money, like there's a lot of success stories where people are like, Yeah, we started this company in our garage and we you know, we busted our tails and we stayed up all night and we did all this stuff for years and then finally things started working out and blah blah. The success story where you're like, Yeah, we had a burn rate of a million dollars a month and just before we ran out of private equity money we you know finally started turning a profit like that's not as that's not as cool of a story but it, it everything goes faster that way so i guess it's better but it's uh i don't know i kind of like people having to grind
0: well hopefully it just enables those people to grind and uh not have to go do something else entirely yeah that's true So one of the other cool things that I saw um, for those people that have been scammed in the past, MetaMask, which is one of the biggest self-custody wallets out there, mainly for Ethereum, has partnered with a UK-based financial services company called Asset Reality that is working together to help people get their crypto back if something happens. And if they, I don't think they take any fees, and there's still not a lot of details out there on how they're making money yet. Um, but if they can't help them out, they are saying that they can help put groups of people that have been scammed together into a, a group to go kind of go after the people that are taking money. So I know we've talked a lot about regulation, uh, protection is another big piece that probably isn't talked about nearly as much because there hasn't really been anything like that in the past. Um, especially after what just happened with Luna and, and everything there having some sort of way to retaliate when you get scammed will be will be a nice welcome addition.
1: Yeah, the the Luna Terra UST thing I think is going to accelerate the regulation stuff. Um on CNBC, uh the SEC commissioner um Hester Pierce she's been very crypto and bitcoin friendly. Um so she went on to kind of talk about regulation and um really established her position that the SEC has kind of dropped the ball, right? I mean, if they had regulations in place, then Doquan and the Terra Luna network and everything would have to have filed as a security and gone through a bunch of regulations to make sure that they had things right. And either it would have killed that project because it obviously didn't have uh, its ducks in a row because it collapsed or it would have taken a little longer. They would have gotten their ducks right. And then, you know, instead of 20% uh, interest or return on UST, it would have been lower and more reasonable and the company would have been solvent. Um, And so, so she, she talked and then Caroline Pham has been named um, as head of the CFTC. You know, she's a city group exec and she's pro crypto uh, pro Bitcoin. And, So that's, you know, more and more people in Washington are becoming more and more pro crypto. Um, the The reason that the CFTC is important—that's the commodities, uh, futures stuff. They are in charge of commodities. Bitcoin is is being kind of pushed towards being a commodity. Um, The other cryptos are being pushed towards being a security. Because they pass the Howey test, mainly because they are viewed as uh, like the, the pre mine stuff is like founders shares, and they market themselves so as when people buy uh, that cryptocurrency, like when people buy shares of the company, their value increases. So a lot of the a lot of the cryptocurrencies are going to be considered securities, um, but having somebody at the CFTC who is uh, favorable to Bitcoin is big. Um, the Senator Cynthia Lummis and Gillibrand are together on a bill that they're pushing through that would have the CFTC lead on regulations instead of the SEC. So kind of, if you put these things together, it it seems like there's more and more push away from the SEC and towards the CFTC. Um, which is fine with me. People just need an idea of how to, of what they're allowed to do. And companies need to know, you know, what if we put stuff on our balance sheet, how how do we handle it? Um, and, and these kind of steps help that out a lot.
0: Yeah. It sounds to me like we've been missing the regulation piece for a long time. And part of that is no one really knows who is in charge of it. So regulation will bring more innovation long-term, um, We just don't know who's going to regulate it.
1: Right. And I mean, it goes all the way back to like Satoshi writing on Bitcoin talk where it's like, it's hard to explain Bitcoin because it's not like anything else. So it takes a lot of time and effort and research to really understand it. And so guess what, government, like it doesn't fit into any of these categories that have already existed. You'd kind of need a new one. Consider it a commodity or property or, and just roll it into the CFTC. And if those rules are good enough, maybe you can rewrite them so that they adapt a little bit. So it makes more sense for Bitcoin. Um, and then, I, you know, I don't care much about what happens to the rest of the cryptocurrencies, but uh, I don't know that they'll be considered commodities. I think that I think uh, I think the SEC will fight against that.
0: So is real estate considered a commodity, by the way?
1: I don't believe so. I think it's property, real property.
0: So I thought Bitcoin was already considered property. The IRS
1: considers it property, but there's movement to be for it to be considered a commodity. So that that's that's part of why this would get pushed into the CFTC.
0: Makes
1: sense. Maybe (laughs) it's. I mean, like trying to trying to shoehorn bitcoin and cryptocurrency into government regulations is like it doesn't make sense right i mean it's like where does this you know where does this oval peg go right is it going in a square hole is it going a circle hole like it doesn't really fit anywhere and the government's not good at adapting and being dynamic and tr- figuring things out it's just, so it's it's not it's not good um, but you know well, to it's, me, it's, it's it, kind of like a game work.
0: of. To me, it sounds like a game of hot potato. It goes to a government group, and they don't really know what to do with it, so they're going to toss it to somebody else and say, "Well, maybe if we called it this, it'd be your responsibility, and we don't have to touch it."
1: Right. Yeah, we don't know what to do with it, and this feels like work, so we don't want to do it. So, <laughs> if it feels like work, it's probably somebody else's responsibility.
0: <laughs> uh, sad but true. So what about some of the ETF stuff that you've we've seen yeah. you put on there?
1: Yeah, so that, that flows through uh, the, from the SEC. They just rejected One Rivers Bitcoin ETF that had a carbon neutral component where they were going to take portions of the the funds and buy um, carbon credits so that they could offset the the carbon from Bitcoin mining. Um, and, and kind of get through the ESG investment maze that, that's kind of created by uh, kind of the big banks. And so that's another uh, another Bitcoin ETF rejected. Um, they cited manipulation and fraud, which is kind of the same thing they've, they've claimed on previous Bitcoin ETFs, which at some point with all of like these tech stocks going up 500 X or 500 percent and then dropping 90 percent or 75 percent i mean sometimes at some point it's gonna be like well some of some of these companies are going to take these investors on a wild ride like if we're trying to protect investors like well, you know what are we what are we really doing here um especially since bitcoin if bitcoin's kind of traded with these tech stocks and what shopify is doing and what netflix did bitcoin was a little more stable than them i haven't put it i didn't put the charts together but it felt like bitcoin kind of dropped to 30 grandish and stayed there but netflix dropped 30 percent overnight that's that's big for even bitcoin so that's um you know the sec is really gonna have to take a look in the mirror and figure out like hey at what point are we not protecting investors by reducing their exposure to uh like an emergent asset class and you know if if you if you get into Bitcoin and you think that it's not going to go up and down, then you're you're I don't even know how you got into Bitcoin. I, you know, like that's the number one thing that everybody talks about is price, wild price swings, and high risk and these big dips that it takes. So you know if you're if you're not an informed investor enough to know that if you buy Bitcoin, it's got a good chance of dropping sharply, then I uh, I don't you're not. you're not even a good retail investor.
0: The crazy part to me is that they've approved a futures-based ETF, but not a spot ETF. So why I would think the spot would be better than the futures from a risk standpoint.
1: So the only thing I have read about why that is, is because the futures are settled in U.S. dollars and the Bitcoin spot ETF would effectively be settled in Bitcoin and i just maybe it's maybe it goes back to like there's nothing like this it's not a foreign currency it's not um a commodity it's not you know so maybe that's part of why they're trying to define it as a commodity like i don't know but at some point there's going to be enough people like everybody that works at the sec is going to own some bitcoin <laughs> they're going to be like all right fine that's really not that big of a deal let's let's allow this i mean like Bitcoin's going to win. It's not going to stop. It's always going to be a problem. More people are going to jump on board. There's going to be more pressure for the SEC to to approve this. And Grayscale, who they have a a Bitcoin trust where you effectively buy into the trust as if it were an ATF, downside being there's like a 2% maintenance fee on it. And with the trust, they have like a lockup period. And there's a lot of other rules around the trust. Um, they can buy, they cannot sell Bitcoin. And so they are always either available at a premium or a discount to the value of the Bitcoin that they hold. Whereas an ETF can buy and sell. And they, the ETF has to maintain the amount, the, the US dollar equivalent of the funds received to uh, to the, Bitcoin, the value of the Bitcoin. So the ETF would constantly be moving Bitcoin in and out and, uh and accepting funds and, and converting it into uh, into into Bitcoin so to me grayscales putting a lot of pressure they're threatening suing the SEC uh, they're they're making a push for owners of shares of the trust to send the SEC like this form letter that says hey look you really, you know, you're doing a disservice to investors by not having, not being, not allowing Grayscale to convert the, the GBTC trust into an ETF. Um, and so they're making a huge push. And I, I can't remember when their date for the next rejection or approval, or I think the way it works is the SEC can reject it for like a 90-day period or whatever day period expires. And then it just is... Is approved by lack of rejection, so um, so they're trying to make a push for that, and I think I think that getting grayscale to get a Bitcoin spot ETF would be great for the price because every entity could buy an ETF, have direct exposure to Bitcoin, not through futures where you have all these fees and all these rolling monthly contracts and backwardation and. Uh, all these different losses that you see in, in futures ETFs, but actual, you know, a Bitcoin IOU from a trusted third party, but everybody knows how to handle that. the value of that ETF from a tax standpoint. And every, like every investor would know easily how to handle it. And Grayscale would know easily how to send out the, the tax forms every year. So that everybody's claiming, you know, what they need to claim by buying and selling from the ETF. So it would allow a lot of money to flow in to Bitcoin through the ETF. Granted, if you're a Bitcoin, you know, maxi person that loves self-sovereignty and hold on to your Bitcoin, you know, it's not your keys, it's not your coin, and you need to have a hardware wallet, and then you need to engrave it in stainless steel using sulfuric acid. And so you don't lose your seed phrase backup key. It's like, okay, those guys aren't going to be happy. But I think it's good for Bitcoin and it'll be good for the other countries that are using Bitcoin that, you know, the El Salvador's and Central African Republic's that I've already jumped on because that money flowing into um, a Bitcoin ETF in the United States will boost the value of their Bitcoin that they hold as, as, you know, personal wealth for, uh, for low-income people in low-income countries. So, I mean, that sort of thing would really spur adoption, too. Once Guatemala sees El Salvador taken off, they're going to try to jump on as quick as possible.
0: So well, it sounds like moving things away from the SEC into the commodities and futures group might not be a bad thing after all to get hopefully something moving.
1: Well, I mean... Gary Gensler said Bitcoin's not a security. But the ETF would be. So the ETF has to pass through the SEC. But as far as them handling Bitcoin directly, nobody seems to want to touch it. Mm. But now that the CFTC has a Bitcoin person at the top, maybe that maybe that's a, that story's changing.
0: So speaking of Bitcoin and the uh, Lightning Network... They had some pretty positive news here last week too they set a new all-time high for their network capability um which is exciting but it's still got a long ways to go before it can replace transacting money around the entire world for everything you need right so right so we, we mentioned a little bit about el salvador and all kinds of stuff about crypto um i don't know if you have heard of um, Arthur Hayes, but Arthur Hayes was one of the original founders of Bitfinex, which was a trading platform that kind of got into a little bit of hot water. Um, He has now been um, actually probably an interesting mind in the crypto space, trying to make it a better spot. And he wrote a blog that talked about the doom loop. And it's probably worth everybody going to Google that and, and look at that. But the, the short version of that is with what the U.S. just did to Russia, um, where they locked up 300 and something billion dollars worth of Russia's 600 and something billion reserve currency, um, that just put a big red flag in China's perspective of what the U.S. can do with the the debt that they're selling to other countries. And the U.S. has done a really good job of kind of selling their debt to other countries instead of selling it internally to us or um, just using inflation to inflate the dollar into nothing, right? So um, there's a lot of talk behind all that. But the interesting piece that I got out of it was that his perspective that in order for China to really um, do something with their surplus is they have to look outside of buying the debt from the U S and the other options out there are gold, um, other commodities and Bitcoin being the third. And he made a really interesting point of one, if they went after all the gold, they still have more money than what there is to buy all the gold. And that would cause the gold market to kind of go crazy in general commodities um, some of the food stuff actually does go bad, even though China is actually hoarding some, I think wheat right now, or they have been for the past year. Yeah. Uh, I read that. Yeah. A lot of other precious mineral metals as well. Um, the problem is just the storage facilities, right? I mean, that takes a lot of effort, um, and, and cost to do that. So the third one is Bitcoin. And even though they have pretty much blocked Bitcoin already, it is. They're running into trouble where they have a bunch of dollars that they need to sell in all these different um, countries' currencies to get back into something they could use. So Bitcoin makes the most sense out of all of that. And we talked about, what, three or four weeks ago about where we thought Bitcoin was going to go by like 2030, and he pretty much made a projection that what he sees is that because of this doom loop that has already started, uh, Bitcoin pretty much has to go to at least a million dollars and gold has to go to almost $20,000 an ounce. Um, So uh, just another data point and and actually an interesting thing probably just to to learn more about for everybody else out there as well.
1: Yeah, that million dollars at 2030 is right there, kind of with the low end of the high estimate that I had in whatever podcast that was uh a few months ago
0: yeah so hopefully that's a gross under calculation and it's <laughs> it's more than that but uh we'll see what happens even a million would be great from here yeah a million would be great i mean that's still what a 30 something x from here
1: yeah that uh, that'd be that'd be pretty huge you know like the overshoots and all that stuff but i mean you start to get bitcoin to a million I mean, from a market cap standpoint, you could start using Bitcoin day to day stuff. All the Lightning Network, um, you know, being able to use Bitcoin at Walmart and McDonald's and all that stuff starts to come into play. You can't tax it all the time for every single transaction, so you get a little bit of a little bit of leeway on like uh, de minimis exemptions. I mean, you know, I'm talking about eight years, so eight years—pretty long time in technology terms. That's that's enough to kind of for things to be really different. I mean, eight years ago, you know, twenty sixteen, right? No, twenty fourteen. So it's pretty different world. Eight years from now it should be much different because things can move much faster.
0: Be in flying cars and everything by then. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: George Jetson's really let me down on the on the flying car situation. Any day now. Yep.
0: Oh, cool. That's all I had on my end. Um, anything else from your perspective we need to throw in here?
1: No, I think that's that sounds good. Um, I think, you know, every week there's more and more stuff that comes out. And there's a bunch of little stories that we don't talk about. Uh, there's like a Panamanian bank that just put Bitcoin on. Um, tons of little things like that that are just, they're not quite, uh, they don't move the meter as much. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that if you're not really paying attention to it, you, you absolutely have no idea that it's going on.
0: Yeah, and it's it's all happening when prices are going down and it sounds like everybody thinks Bitcoin's going to zero. This is one of those times where it's like if all these positive things keep, keep happening at this point. Uh, what's going to happen on the next bull run?
1: Yeah, Bitcoin doesn't care what people think the price is. It keeps doing, it keeps doing its thing. It keeps... Keeps making trans- or keeps making blocks full of transactions and you can't change them and you can't stop it. So the price is low, it keeps doing it, price goes up, it still does the exact same thing.
0: Cool. Well as always, Sal, thanks for joining, and we'll talk to you next week. All right,
1: thanks a lot, Jason.
0: Thanks for journeying down the crypto rabbit hole with us. If you're interested in learning more about crypto, please join our private Facebook group on blocking crypto. It's a small community, discussing new ideas and just asking questions to learn more. Hope to interact with you there.